Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Life with GDPR. This is the podcast series where, together with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Cordery Compliance in London, we take a look at data privacy, data protection, and all issues related to GDPR, English data protection law, and data protection and data privacy laws in the United States. It's a podcast that every compliance practitioner needs to be a listen to and be a part of the discussion going forward for this most important issue in compliance today. I'm Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Life after GDPR is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back from our summer hiatus for another episode of Life with GDPR. As always, I'm joined by Jonathan Armstrong from Cordery in London. Jonathan, uh, welcome. Thanks very much, Tom. It's good to be back. And uh, we've had um, uh, really some interesting developments in the data privacy slash data protection world. And we're going to talk about some of those. But really, I wanted to have this episode Give me or have you give us your thoughts, observations, and perhaps even some reflections of GDPR uh, now at two months. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is there's a lot of activity around. That activity is some of the pre-GDPR cases coming to the courts. And I, I think we're going to talk about one of those a little bit later. But there's, uh, you know, a good half dozen cases in the last month or so that are that are worth um, reflecting on. And then we've also seen uh, some uh, data on the number of complaints that regulators are receiving under GDPR. And they're pretty substantial as well. Uh, the UK is the top of the uh, chain, for example. They received um, just over 1,100 complaints in the first 24 days. And that's significant because traditionally, about 50% of the complaints that are received relate to data subject rights, so subject access rights that we've talked about before in an earlier podcast. And of course, they don't count uh, for the first month's figures because the organization gets a month to respond. So I would have said we're probably, I should think, probably in five figures, 10,000 plus complaints across Europe. Um, the Netherlands, for example, had 600 complaints in the first 14 days. So a lot of these figures are interesting. We're also getting a, a, a large number of data breach notification reports. So, for example, Ireland said on the 30th of July that it had got just under 1,200 data breach reports since GDPR came in. The UK commissioner had just under 1,800 in June alone. Um, the Irish Data Protection Commission said that GDPR applied in about 1,000 of that 1,100-ish data breach reports they had. There's some other reporting obligations under legislation like, uh, like NIS, for example, and that, um, and that, as I say, Ireland alone is about 750 complaints in addition to those uh, data breach notifications. There are probably around about 100 cross-border cases uh, registered. The uh, 
EDPB, the coordinating body for this, said that they had 30 in in June, and that and that figure seems to be about 100. Ireland again are saying that 37% of the cases had them as the lead authority, so they're likely to be. Uh, U.S. technology businesses in the main, like Facebook being the obvious one, that have their lead uh, EU DPA uh, in uh, in Ireland. So quite a lot of interesting uh, uh, stuff, I think. Um, the European system of coordinating complaints across Europe does look as if it's uh, uh, working well. And there are some um, significant uh, cross-border complaints, uh, as I've said. Um, Spain, for example, is saying that they're anticipating 13 to 16,000 cross-border uh, complaints a year. And we know that some well-motivated pressure or well, uh, what's the word, not well-motivated, well-funded and well-resourced pressure groups like uh, La Quadrature du Net in France and NOIB in Austria are uh, friend Max Schrems, uh, are also gearing up for, um, uh, have also made uh, what are called super complaints as well. In the French case, representing that it, it said some 12,000 uh, people in, in their complaints. So significant GDPR activity. Um, and, and we know that cases have been opened in connection with some of those data breach reports already. Dixon's Carl Phone Warehouse being one where they reported a data breach of about a million people affected, but they've uh, since switched that to saying that they think the real figure is about 10 million, not 1 million. So some significant cases and plenty for regulators to get their teeth into. Jonathan, one of the things we typically see here in the United States, uh, uh, particularly when a new law or regulation or even update goes into effect, is that the, the regulators go out on the speaking circuit and they talk about it. They talk about uh, their uh, philosophy towards enforcement uh, and that you know perhaps they will uh, work with companies in a, in a for a short time before fully enforcing the law or, or go the other way where they say they will engage in robust enforcement because people have had plenty of time uh, to hear about the law and prepare for it. Is there that sort of activity from either the EU or the British regulators to, to at least go out to the uh, data privacy data uh, 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 community and, and talk about GDPR, the UK law? Yeah, I, th I think that's definitely right. There are information campaigns going on uh, both to companies and to uh, individuals. Um, the uh, Spanish commissioner announced this week, for example, that they're doing a, um, a effectively a joint venture with an organization representing uh, small businesses, uh, you know, the French regulators doing an information campaign because we've seen our first um, scams that are mimicking a regulator's enforcement letter telling people to ring a number to talk through the complaint that's been levied and that number turns out to be a, um, a premium rate telephone number. So it's a, it's a call scam. So I think as a result, regulators are trying to educate people not only on the fact that how they run investigations, but also, you know, that there are people who are pretending to be the regulator and, and increasing the pain as well. I think some regulators are talking tough. Some are saying that they're going to 
um, regard their first period as uh, education. And bear in mind, of course, that some regulators in Europe haven't got the legal powers they need yet. So in some jurisdictions, the uh, implementation of GDPR into domestic law has been delayed. Romania might be one, for example, that's just pushed its legislation through but didn't hit the 25th of May deadline. Uh, It's important to remember, of course, that regulators have far more powers under GDPR than just fines. So they can ask for information, they can carry out dawn raids uh, or uh, audits, Um, They can visit premises, they can remove equipment, they can issue warnings, uh, they can suspend processing. And so they've got quite a wide armory now. And some of that stuff is likely going on, but isn't public. You know, we know organizations that have had visits, for example, from regulators, and it's not in the regulators' interests oftentimes to publicize that visit, nor is it in the company's best interests to say that they've been visited. So I think there's an awful lot of stuff going on behind the scenes at the moment. But equally, we've had some openness from regulators into, you know, the ICO, for example, in the UK has publicly disclosed their data breach notification figures. And, and I think that's, uh, that's helpful. And we are seeing some clarity from regulators. Of course, as well as regulators having more powers under GDPR, they are also subject to more uh, looking over their shoulder. So data subjects can bring court proceedings if regulators don't act quickly. Many of these cross-border complaints will expect to see results in uh, in three months or so. So I think it'll be interesting, you know, end of August, let's say, I think we'll start and see more in the public domain about some of these large investigations that are going on. Yes, I was uh, asking about the Dixon Carphone warehouse case. I was wondering if you've been able to gain any insights from either the regulator's comments or if they have not publicly commented, the regulatory response uh, from uh, from this data breach and how it's been handled to date? Uh, no, it's been hard to find a public comment. We don't um, we don't know for certain it's uh, a data breach under GDPR, where you know it seems very likely. But remember that uh, telecoms businesses have uh, other reporting obligations as well under some pre-GDPR legislation, it's likely to be a case, I would say, that the regulator will be looking at under GDPR and under those uh, uh, other uh, telecom-specific rules. And and I guess the questions they will be being asked at the moment is, you know, why didn't you know about the breach sooner? Why didn't you tell us sooner? And why did you get the number wrong? Um, the uh, UK regulator has just issued a, uh, a, a statement uh, some moments ago that's an update on their earlier statement. Um, so this is absolutely hot off the press. They're saying that uh, so the uh, UK regulator, the ICO, is confirming that they are investigating. They're saying we will take time to assess the new information that 
they've had this morning. We would expect the company to alert all of those affected in the UK as soon as possible and to take all steps to reduce any potential harm to customers. Uh, Now, obviously, one of the issues in GDPR is that if you uh, lose data and you don't report that loss in time, then potentially that's two separate fines. One for not having the right security measures in place to protect the data, and the second for not reporting uh, as soon as is reasonably practical or, or within the 72-hour window. So, so it, it is significant for Dixon's Coffin Warehouse, and that's obviously one of the reasons why they made the announcement to the stock exchange this morning, because we're pay- playing with big numbers now with the data breach, and, and in some cases that'll mean that not only do we have to tell the people affected, not only do we have to tell regulators, but we also have to tell the stock exchange as well. So, Jonathan, um, you engaged in a fairly robust amount of activity leading up to GDPR go live on May 25. Um, Has that level of activity continued for you, or do you see companies – uh, sort of pausing to take a breath, or what's it been like for you and Cordery and the Cordery team around uh, these issues since GDPR has gone live? I think it varies from business to business. I mean, obviously, some people are now on vacation. It's the holiday season across Europe, so some projects have have um, have lost a little bit of of their steam. But we are starting to see the first data breaches in organizations post-GDPR. And often that highlights the fact that their GDPR projects aren't complete. Um, I probably oughtn't to say too much about that, given that we have some uh, live breaches that that are before regulators at the moment. But, um, but, but I, I think for many organizations, when they're tested, they do find out or, or it springs to mind bits of the plan that they've missed. Um, we've got another regulatory activity at the moment around what are called Article 30 records, where the Dutch uh, authorities, Dutch Data Protection Authority, is picking businesses at random and asking them, Uh, how they've collected the data processes that they're doing, which is a requirement under GDPR, but one that I think many people have either missed or overcomplicated, where they've used external consultants, for example, to map all of their data everywhere, which is now in a format that is unusable because it's out of date as soon as it's done and nobody can get any sensible data out of it. So my gut feel is that for many organizations, they've taken a little bit of a pause after 25th of May, but an incident has made them, you know, put more effort back into the campaign again, whether that be a large volume of subject access requests, which I know a lot of people are suffering from. Um, I know that there was a, a, a statement from, I think, four businesses 
that they said that they could not cope currently with the amount of subject access requests that they were getting. One was a, a prominent uh, online retailer. And so some organizations are beginning to work out already that their GDPR planning perhaps didn't prepare them for the volume of complaints that they're getting. So, John, unfortunately, we're near uh, the end of our time, but this has been a fascinating exploration of, of really the uh, your reflections, observations, and thoughts on GDPR two months. I look forward to, to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jonathan at jonathan.armstrong at puerto.compliance.com. Hope you'll join us again for another episode of Life with GDPR. Life with GDPR is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.